Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll read together there, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to say how thankful I am for you fathers who are here or watching online. And there's the influence of a godly father is such a powerful influence. And I, if you're leading your uh, family to follow the Lord, I guess God bless you. And I'm praying God will bless you in every way as you do that. Vacation Bible schools this week, and we're glad. Last year we didn't get to do Bible school at all. Well, it's more limited this year, but I'm so thankful we can have the opportunity to at least do this this year. And if you're helping with Vacation Bible School in some way as a teacher or helper or worker in some way, we are very thankful for you. If you would do me a favor, if you are a teacher, a worker, or a helper, would you stand and stay standing? And we'll, we want to pray for you this week as you teach Vacation Bible School. A teacher, a worker, a helper in some way in Vacation Bible School, stand where you are. We're going to pray for you. We're thankful for you. And uh, next year... Next year, when we have a full vacation Bible school, let me tell you, we're going to need your tribe to increase greatly because we're really looking forward to that next year too. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Let's pray for these and pray for every boy, every girl who's at Bible school this week. Let's, let's pray right now. Lord, thank you for people who are willing to teach little boys and girls about the things of Jesus, to help in some way so that they can hear the message of the Bible, to know that you care about them and love them. And I thank you. I pray you bless every worker. I pray you bless their spirit, their heart, their smile, their love, their commitment to you. And I pray you will use this to do great things for your glory. And I pray Bible school this week will be a great week. I pray you'll just, and every, for every boy and girl who hears the message of truth and of your love, Lord, I pray you'll use it to impact their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated. We're so glad you're helping with Bible school. We'll open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read uh, the first six verses of this, this passage as we go through 2 Corinthians together. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's read beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Well, let's talk about the confidence we have, the confidence we have. And I, I think there are two dangers to avoid here. On the one hand are people who have no confidence, and they say, God can't use me. Now, they may have no confidence in any area of life. I can't ever do anything. But they often say when it comes to the spiritual realm, God can't use me, maybe because of their past, maybe because of some, because of some problem, maybe because of, because of some brokenness in their past. They say, God can't use me and have no confidence. But on the other hand, is another danger, and it's the danger of overconfidence. And people like this, and of course it's common in our society as a whole, we say, you can do anything. Grandma said, I'm a great whatever, and so I can, I'm better than anyone else. And I, but in spiritual realm, we say it like this, I don't need God. I'm talented, I have abilities, I have skills, and I don't really need God. I'm all right where I am, and I don't really need God. And what a terrible danger that is. 
And so wherever you fall on this spectrum, either no confidence, God can't use me, or overconfidence, I can do this without God, I want you to see what the Bible says about the confidence that we have. So the first time I grew up here in Illinois, and I had never gone snow skiing in my life, and so when I was in college, we had a group that was wanted to go snow skiing. Growing up in downstate, uh, we just don't have very many hills. Maybe you were aware of that by now. We, we have soybeans. If you like soybeans, we've got soybeans. I'll just tell you that. This is the place for you. If you like cornfields, we got cornfields all over the place. And between here and Chicago, there's not a hill, but there's lots of soybeans and lots of cornfields. And so I just never snow skied or anything like that. And I, in college, I was in Chicago land, and I had a, uh, uh, a group of friends who wanted to go snow skiing. And you could go in the northwestern part of the state. There's some hills there, not Colorado mountains or anything, but they had some hills. And they wanted to go snow skiing. And they said, Doug, you'll like it. It'll be fun. It'll be easy. And I thought to myself, how hard can it be? Six-year-olds are snow skiing. I'm sure I can do this. And we got there. They said, Doug, this will be no problem. You're an athlete. You're in shape. You're young. You can do this. And so, you know, I did a couple little lessons on the bunny slope. And up that lift, I went to the top of the mountain. And they started talking about black diamonds. And I didn't know what that meant. And so I had a very terrible experience, I'll tell you that. I never longed for soybeans as much as I longed for soybeans that day. And I thought I could do just anything. You know, you're immortal when you're that age. You're, you could do anything. You're, and I found out, man, I had way too much confidence. Some of you are that, that way spiritually. You think, boy, I, we have a lot of hard chargers here. I mean, talented people. You've worked hard. You've studied well. You've gone places in your job. And you've done well in your school. And you begin to think, I'm okay. I don't really need God. I mean, God's sort of lucky to have me. If I get in really bad shape, God can rescue me, of course, but I don't really need God. Or you've been broken and damaged and hurt by the problems of this world, and you bring that with you here, and you say, God can never use me. If he knows what has gone on in my life, if he knows the pain, the hurt, the problems, he could never use me. Let's talk about how, we're, how we find confidence in the Lord. And if you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to write these three principles down. Whether if you're watching online, you can write them right there at home. Let's write these three principles together. Number one, be confident of God's power to work through you. I want to ask you to be confident of God's power to work through you. God is able to work through you. Verses one, two, and three, Paul talks to us about his confidence in God's power to work through him. He said, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need like some letters of recommendation to you or from you? Back in the days when people wrote letters, uh, you know, that's changed now with our generation, but people used to write letters, and it was not uncommon to write letters of recommendation. And they would say about someone who is moving to a new place, maybe they would take a letter where they could be introduced by someone who could say, I can vouch for this person's character or their abilities or their talents because you don't know them, but you know me, and I know them, and so I'm going to recommend them to you, and I'm telling you they're able to do the job you need done or be in the school they want to get to because I'm writing a recommendation of them. And Paul said, do I need that from you? He says in verse 2, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. He's saying God has done his work through you. God used me to work in you. And so there's a sense in which you're the letter of recommendation for me. When people say, can God work through Paul? I can point to the church of Corinth. And I can say, look at, look at what God has done in the church of Corinth. And it recommends that God is able, it's saying to people, God is able to use me to make a difference in the life of the church of Corinth. 
And he says in verse 3, you show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. God has written a letter through you, church of Corinth, he's saying. You're the evidence that God is able to change lives. You're the evidence that God is able to transform people. And if you wonder if God is able, if God has the ability, if God's got the talent, well, we can look at you and we can see how God has transformed you from death to life, from, from sin to holiness. God's, the church of Corinth was filled with people like this church of all sorts. Every sin, every background, all kinds of different problems and brokenness and pain and hurt, mistakes that, had, that they had made themselves, problems they had rushed into, addictions and struggles and difficulties. They'd been harmed by others and they had harmed others themselves. And yet God had worked in them. And there was evidence of the work and power of God because of the church of Corinth. That There's a power to the world as they see God working in the people called Christians and in the church. I want you to note some things under this principle that we're to be confident of God's power to work through us. I want you to know that you can do great things for God by his power. You can do great things for God by his power. By God's power, you can do great things for God. One of the things I love about Vacation Bible School is many people begin to find out through Bible school that God can use them. Many of our teenagers help in Bible school, and for some of them, it's their first kind of step into ministry, into service, and they begin to find out that life is not just about being served, but about serving. It's not just about what's in it for me, but how can I give to others? And I love that. I love for them to begin to see that God, by His power, can do great things through them. I want you to know that God can do great things through you by His power. When we say, God can't use me, well, really, it really says more about God than it says about us. It's really saying more about our view of God than it, about our view of us. Because God uses broken people all the time. Did you know that? Every person God uses has a sinful past. Every person God uses comes with a brokenness in their history. But I want you to see that God can do great things through you. It's by His power that he does it. Fatherhood is a good example of teaching this. And those of you who are fathers have maybe discovered, I remember the sobering realization I had when I became a father that when my children would read, God is a heavenly father, they couldn't help but think of their earthly father. And for good or for bad, there was a, listen, some of you had great fathers, and what a difference that makes. I know some of you didn't have that in your life. You didn't have a father in your life, or you didn't have a father who pointed you, you to the things of God. But for those of you who did, what a powerful influence that is in your life. What a blessing that is. What a great privilege. And you fathers, or fathers-to-be, I want you to see what a, what a demonstration this is, that God is able to use you to make a difference in the lives of others. And he could do great things through your life in the lives of your children. I want you to note as well that God can use you to help others find Christ. Did you know that? Paul is saying, God has used me. He didn't have to use me, but he did to help people at Corinth come to know Christ as Savior and follow him. And God in heaven can use you. He doesn't have to use you, but he wants to use you to help others find him. We can, find, we can be used by God to help others find Christ. And maybe God would use you in your 
sphere of influence, in your job, in your school to help others come to Christ. We'll talk in later weeks about our role, and 2 Corinthians talks often about how we're ambassadors and we have responsibilities, and God wants to use us to help others find Christ. I love to lead people to Jesus myself, but I love to see people in our church who are leading others to Christ, who are sharing the gospel, who are inviting some friend to a worship service. Every week I meet someone who's been invited to a worship service by someone else in our congregation who's pointing them to Christ. God can use you to help others find Christ. And note as well that you can join God in his work of transforming lives. God transforms lives, but you can join him in that work. God invites you to join him in that work. God wants to use you to join him in that work. God transforms lives, but he uses people like us to accomplish it. And he does it because of his great ability. Not because of our ability, but because of his. Some of you may remember uh, a guy I've had preach here a few times named Preston Nix. Preston's been a longtime friend of mine. We became friends when we were young men and known each other for years and years and years. And I've had him preach here several times. He's a professor at New Orleans Baptist Seminary now, but was a pastor for a long time. And we've just, we've often talked together, encouraged each other, prayed together. So uh, Preston told me this story years ago, and I've never forgotten it. I love this story. Preston's married to, his wife's name is Diane. And they are both uh, passionate people, real, you know, kind of the, um, you know, black and white, uh, good or bad, uh, passionate, strong, go-getter type personalities. And so on occasion, that leads them to a little uh, conflict. Sometimes they have some struggles together. That's not uncommon in a marriage. Did you know that? Did you know Vicky doesn't always see things exactly as I see them? It was so shocking to find that out when we got married, you know. Well, Preston and Diane have had that relationship somewhat. Their personalities lend itself to that. So years ago, Preston, before he was ever a pastor, he was a youth pastor long years ago. And he told me, he told me this story later. He said he got asked by his pastor to preach on a Sunday morning. He was going to, and he had not preached very often at that point. Uh, maybe never in on Sunday morning. And so he was very excited about the opportunity to preach on a Sunday morning and in big church, you know, and he was, so he was really excited about it. And he and his wife on the Saturday night before he was going to preach in front of the whole church, he and his wife got into a little disagreement and they had a little fuss and probably over nothing big. He couldn't even remember what it was when he told me the story, some little whatever. And that turned into a bigger fight, little things con- if you've been in relationships, you kind of know how this can happen. Sometimes it turns into a big fight, argument, everything. And when you love people, you're vulnerable to them, and you've been around them enough, you know how to hurt them, and they know how to hurt you, and that kind of happens. And so finally, in the heat, they said some unkind things to each other. They were not very charitable with each other. And finally, Preston said to Diane, he said, way to go, Diane, he said, now I'm unworthy to preach tomorrow. And she said, Diane said back to Preston, she said, Preston Nix, at your best, you weren't worthy to preach. Now, I don't know if she meant it this way, but I'm telling you, it was profound what she said. She may have meant it to jab, I'm not sure, but what she said was profound. At, at your best, you were not worthy to preach. Can I just tell you something? At your best. I'm not talking about your worst. At your best, you're not worthy to teach a life group. At your best, you're not worthy to teach a 
vacation Bible school class. At your best, you're not worthy, as John the Baptist said, to get on your knees and loosen the sandals of Jesus' feet at your best. God doesn't call us to join him in his work because God somehow said, oh my goodness, look how great you are, and I needed someone like you, and I was just about to go under, you know, without, without your help. I didn't know how I was going to make it. Thankfully, you came along, and things are going to look a little bit better now. That's not it at all. The principle is we can be confident of God's power to work through us. God does the work. It's his power. We're not dependent upon ourselves. In fact, the Bible reminds us when we think we don't need God, that's when we're at our weakest, no matter how skilled we may be. And when we recognize our deep need for God and we recognize how weak we are, that's when we turn to God and that's when we find his great strength. And so I want you to recognize that principle that we can be confident of God's power to work through us. There's a second principle I'd like you to know. Would you write this down? Be confident of God's presence to work, f- to work for you. Be confident of God's presence to work for you. How thankful I am for the presence of God in our lives, for the presence of God in our lives. And now let's go to verses 4 and 5 and note a couple of things. First, uh, let's read verse 4. The Bible says, such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. Now your confidence is found in the work of Christ. Your confidence is found in the work of Christ. Notice Paul did not say, the confidence we have is through our talents, or the confidence we have is through our abilities. Or the confidence we have is through our religion. Or the confidence we have is through our hard work. Or the confidence we have is because we're so good. The Bible, that's not what he says. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. Now, how can I stand before God who is holy? Well, I'll tell you, it's not by my work. Because I'm not, I'm a, I'm a, I've sinned against God. I'll just tell you, I've sinned against God. And the Bible tells me I'm not the only one. But the Bible tells me that every single person, every one of you hearing this, has sinned against God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So our confidence cannot be found in our works. I think there are a lot of people who misunderstand this, and they think the way you get to heaven, this is a very common view, the way you get to heaven is sort of like you've got to be good enough, and so you've got to work harder, and you've got to try harder. Well, how hard? And they see it sort of as a scale, and they put on the one hand the good things they do, and on the other hand the bad things they do. And they say, well, listen, I know I didn't, you know, I didn't always act right in these ways, but boy, I did a lot of really good things here. And I don't know if you've noticed that, God, but I think, I think I'm going to come out all right because I've done enough good things. Here's what the Bible says. God is holy and perfect. And so if I were from this point forward to be perfect, from this point forward, never another sin, what hope would there be for me to stand before God because I've already sinned against him and I'm already unholy? And so if I'm depending upon my works, I will always fail. I can't self-improve my way to perfection. Certainly I can get better. I could act nicer, be kinder. But how do, I, how do I get to perfection? And so the Bible is telling us this. Our confidence is found in the work of Christ. Not our work, but His. Not our work, but His work. We're saved by Christ, not by us. So if we're depending upon our works... We'd say, all right, we've done a lot of good things, but we've sinned against God. And if I only sinned one time, it would be enough to make me a sinner. And there is no sin before God. But I don't, listen, I'm so thankful to tell you, I don't have to depend upon my work. Because if I had to depend upon my work, there would be no hope, nor would there be for you. But Christ did the work for you. 
God loved this broken world so much, even though we were sinners. He sent his son Jesus into this world who lived the life we couldn't live. He's the only one who lived the perfect life. And Jesus was worthy, therefore, to die the death we deserve. Jesus died on the cross, his work for me. And Jesus did the miracle I need and rose from the grave and conquered sin and death and hell. And so I trust not my work because I'm a sinner and I can't be holy in my own merit, but I trust the work of Jesus on my behalf. And so the Bible tells me I need to repent of my sin, turn from my sin, and trust Christ in Christ alone. I don't trust my religion. I don't trust my goodness. I don't trust my hard work. I can't trust my baptism. I can't trust that I was nice to, you know, the elderly lady who needed a little help or whatever, the, you know, the, little, the, the guy who needed a little assistance or the neighbor who wasn't as nice as I am. But I can trust Christ and trust his work and not mine. And the Bible says I can be confident because Christ's death on the cross was sufficient to cover my sin. Christ's blood on the cross was sufficient to pay the debt I owed. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for me to be forgiven and set free and cleansed and holy. I'm thankful that my confidence is found in the Lord. By the way, some of you are here who need to be saved. Are you hearing this today? And you need to give your life to Christ. And I want to ask you today to make the greatest decision you'll ever make and to trust Christ as Savior. Don't depend upon your goodness because the Bible says you, you cannot in your own merit be good enough. Instead, trust Christ who will save you and forgive you. Christ who paid the price for you. Christ who died the death you deserved. Christ who rose from the grave for you. And trust his works and not yours. Your confidence is found in the work of Christ. But as well note that your competence is found in the power of God. Your competence is found in the power of God. Verse 5 says this. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves. Paul's saying, listen, it's not my competence that makes me effective in ministry. It's not my competence before God that allows me to work for him. He says our adequacy is from God. It's the power of God that makes us competent. My brothers will be here next week. I think heavens are going to be here on a Sunday because I've got some things I want to get said to them. And they are, um, they're, they're, well, they could very rightly competent, question my competence to be a pastor. They could say, listen, they, uh, Doug, man, that guy, he acted wrong sometimes. And he was, a, you know, sometimes he was a, kind of a brat sometimes with us. And sometimes he didn't act right. And sometimes he punched us or whatever. And by the way, they are liars. My brothers are terrible liars. I just want to tell you that right up front. And for every one thing, just between you and me, if for every one thing I did bad, they did too. I'll just tell you that up front. They're just, but they were right. I'm not competent to be a pastor. You're not competent to be a Sunday school teacher. You're not competent to teach vacation Bible school. You're not competent to share the gospel, except as you're empowered by God himself. And God's the one who does the work. If you're going to work in your own strength and merit, by your own power and ability, boy, you'll always fail. But if you're going to trust the Lord and his great ability. God uses broken people all the time. God uses people with all kinds of pasts. God is able to forgive fully, cleanse fully, use fully, empower fully. God fills us with his spirit. We have the ability to do God's work because of the great things God has done. Our confidence is found in him. Our competence is found in him. And when we see that, listen, that confusion is so common. The other day, my wife and I were, we had read about, I don't know if you followed this story, there was a, a black bear, you know, we have bears in Illinois, and we just a couple of weeks ago, there's a black bear in Columbia, Illinois. 
that's not very far away. And then a little time later, it was seen again in Mascuda. Now, we live out in the country. Vicki and I live in the country out that way. And so we said, I, I think it had to pass fairly near us to be in that area. So we were kind of excited about the possibility of seeing a black bear. And we, I was, we were coming back just a couple days ago. We were coming back, uh, driving into the country. It was just had gotten dark, and I saw something in the darkness move. And I said, what? I, I know that Vicki said, what is that? And she said, is that a bear? And I screeched to a halt there on that country road. And we looked, and Vicki said, it is a bear. And we watched that thing for a moment, and then she noticed it had a little red collar on. <laughs> and she said I, to her, I wonder why a bear would have a red collar on. That seems strange. And then we realized that wasn't a bear at all. It was a dog. It was just a big black dog. And I'm telling you, that confusion that we had is, a, is, is kind of an illustration of the confusion many people have about spiritual matters. So they've heard a little bit about God's forgiveness, and they begin to think that happens because of our goodness. And they hear about how God gives everlasting life. And they say, well, that's, you know, that's because of me. And they, they, say, they begin to think that they're saved by their works. Now listen, get this in your heart, deep in your heart. We're not saved by our works. We are saved for works. Don't, don't misunderstand and think, if I'm saved, I'll just do whatever I want. Because God changes the very nature of who we are, even the want to. But we're saved always for good works. We should never ignore holiness. God cares about holiness. We should always long for holiness. But our salvation does not come by our goodness, but by his goodness. And our worthiness to serve him doesn't become, come from our worthiness, but because the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are fully forgiven by Jesus, in the, by the blood of Jesus when we trust him as Savior, as though we had never sinned, declared righteous and holy before God based on the work of the Lord Jesus himself and his blood that is sufficient to pay for every sin of our life. And we can be confident of God's presence to work for us. Now, there's a third principle I'd like you to note. Be confident of God's purpose to work with you. Be confident of God's purpose to work with you. Let's go to verse 6. It's a great verse. The Bible says, He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Let's note four things here. Number one, note God gives the ability. He has made us competent. He gives the ability. It's not, God doesn't just say, you know, I, I, I love your talents and abilities. Those all come as gifts from God anyway. He gives the ability. God gives forgiveness. He gives us his presence. He puts the Holy Spirit in us when we trust him as Savior. God's not far removed from us, but when we give our life to Christ, we are adopted into his family. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Now, he often uses people and programs and circumstances to sharpen that ability. God gives it, though. He might use people and programs and circumstances to sharpen that ability. In my own walk with the Lord, I gave my life to Christ when I was young, but I really didn't have a very active devotional life. And for many years in my life, when I was a senior in high school, I moved, we had moved to a new uh, town and community and a church. And our, I, I, we had a youth group, and I noticed some of the teenagers who were reading God's word for themselves and having a devotional life. And it just seemed so unusual to have peers. I mean, I knew old people, 23, 24 year old people would read the Bible, but just to meet a teenager, you know, 17 years old that was reading the Bible like that. And I just drew me and I began slowly but surely to develop this process of beginning to take personal responsibility for my spiritual growth and begin to read the Bible for myself. And I had some people in my life. God often uses people in our lives to sharpen us. 
And he often used his programs. I began to learn better ways to read the Bible, methods that, by which I could learn to pray and th- begin to think like God thinks and learn the things God wanted me to learn. Circumstances God used in my life for good. God often uses circumstances. God, though, gives the ability. Notice well that God calls to ministry. He has made us competent to be ministers, Paul said, to be ministers. Not every person is called to be a pastor or a career missionary, but every believer is called to ministry. Every believer. One of my jobs as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is, every Christian is to be involved in ministry. And one of my responsibilities is to help you begin to to discover how God can use you. Maybe God will use something like Vacation Bible School as a means by which you see there's a role for you to play, something you can do. Maybe you ought to consider going on a mission trip. Our church goes on multiple international mission trips every year. Maybe God would have you go on a mission trip where you share the gospel in some far-off place and begin to see the world more as God sees it. Maybe you ought to teach a life group. Maybe God would use you to teach adults or teenagers or children or preschoolers week by week the things of God. Some of you younger uh, men and women, 21 to 30, should consider becoming a journeyman, that two-year program on an international mission field. We just um, commissioned a journey, a journeyman from our church to go serve in Europe. Maybe some of you ought to consider that. Maybe you should be an ambassador for Christ at work. Maybe God placed you in that job, not just so you'd get a check, not just so you would have a place to work, but because God wants to make a difference there. Maybe he wants you to be an ambassador in that school or in that job or in that home. We often use that acrostic shape as a means of thinking about how we find our giftedness and the ministries God has for us. Uh, S is spiritual gifts and your heart, things that you care about, your abilities God often uses, your personality and your experiences. And maybe God would lead you to some areas of service and ministry where you begin to see that God wants you involved in serving him. God calls to ministry. God provides the message. Verse 6 says, he has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. God is doing a great work. It's the message of the gospel. And the gospel is that Christ did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That God loved this broken, fallen world and sent his son Jesus into it. And Jesus gave himself for us on the cross. And Jesus rose from the grave for us. And we can have new life through that. We can have eternal life in heaven one day, and we can have abundant life in this world now. God provides the message. The message of the gospel doesn't change. And then number four, God grants the victory. The Bible says, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I'm thankful for the letter. That's the law, the Old Testament law that points out our guilt. When I read the law, I'm reminded, even if you just know the Ten Commandments, even if that's all you knew about the law, you might see it says something like, um, don't, don't lie. Don't bear false, false witness. And you realize, man, I have not always, I've not always been completely honest. Or maybe you remember that Jesus said, if you've ever lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. And you said, man, I've not kept the law. And you're reminded that God is holy and that you are not. The law serves a great purpose. It, leads, it points us to God's judgment. It points us to, apart from God's grace, to the death that we deserve. We are thankful that God tells us the truth about the law. But the law... The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Christ doesn't just leave us in our sinful state. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just tell us that we're sinners, but he tells us that God has had a plan for our redemption. And he sent Jesus to give us life and hope and forgiveness. 
We can be justified and sanctified and set free by the power of God. And God wants you to have that kind of victory, eternal life and abundant life. And when we pray together in just a moment, I'm praying there will be some of you here today who will give your life to Christ, who will trust him as Savior. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I'm praying today you'd give your life to Christ. And for those of you who know Christ as Savior, I'm asking you today to say, God, would you use me in ministry? You have a role for me. Maybe you've been on the God can't use me, or you've been on the I don't need God, but maybe today you'd say, God, you want to use me by your power. You want to make a difference through me. God, I want to join you in the work you're doing in this world. Let's pray together. And as we bow to pray, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, perhaps God brought you to this place in this moment in time because he wants you to be saved today. And today you can give your life to Christ right where you sit, listening online. You can give your life to Christ. You can pray a prayer like this. God, I know I've sinned against you. Just tell him that. He knows it, and you know it. I've sinned against you. You are holy, and I'm not. But I believe you did something about that. And I believe you died on the cross in my place. And I believe you rose from the grave and conquered sin and death for me. And I believe you can forgive me and change me. And so here and now, as best I know how, I want to turn from my sin I want to give my life to Christ, and I want to trust you and not myself. And I ask you to save me. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. Christ will save you. And you can trust him to change your life and your future and your eternity. Christian, I wonder if you wouldn't say today, God, I want to be used by you. Help me not to think my past is so broken you can't use me. You're bigger than that. Help me not to think I don't need you. I'm smaller than that. God, I want to trust you to empower me to live the life you made for me, to serve you as you've gifted me. I want to make a difference for you. Father, I want to thank you for the confidence we can have in you, not in our abilities or talents, not in our resources or things, but our confidence in you, that you are bigger than our problems, that you're greater than our needs, that you love us despite our broken past, that you have a purpose and plan for our lives, and you have a promise of heaven for eternity. For these things, we are grateful. So, Father, we're asking you to help us to place our confidence absolutely and fully and completely in you. And we'll believe you to do great things in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.